Hey, it's Brian here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Go Be More podcast. At Go Be More, our mission is simple. We want you to chase your dreams, and our apparel is designed to be a constant reminder of your commitment. This podcast aims to give you the motivation and mindset to get started and keep going. In this episode, John and I speak with Gary Corbett, son of running pioneer Ted Corbett, curator of the Ted Corbett Archives and official historian for the National Black Marathoners Association. Gary was born into the world of running as his father, Ted Corbett, was one of the first ultra-marathoners, a term he actually coined, the first president of the New York Roadrunners, and a major figure in defining both the New York City Marathon and road racing as we know it. Gary has dedicated his life to documenting the history of running and in particular, the early history of black runners. We spend a lot of our discussion on topics related to Gary's father, Ted, and the influence he had on the sport. But we also talk about the value of preserving history and the need to tell the stories of the people who live them. Gary has a lot of projects in the works, and we were glad he could take the time to join us to share his passion with us. All right, on to the episode. All right, Gary Corbett, welcome to the Go Be More podcast. Hi. Good evening. It's good to be here. Yes, sir. Gary, it's good to see you. And, and, and this is the first time that I'm actually getting to, I've heard about you. I've, I've read about your father for many, many years. I was actually shocked to read about uh, your dad, Ted Corbett, and, and all the stuff that he's done for the sport of running. So I'm, I'm uh, extremely excited uh, to hear from you, you know, just all the different stories uh, that you'd like to share about um you know your dad and and obviously your your clear passion for the sport and and what it means to your life and what you've learned uh, throughout your journey uh, as you've chosen uh to really uh capture the history of our sport which is uh, anybody that loves running and, and is into track and field and the sport of running uh, owes you a big thank you because it's it's an amazing history and there's so much that we can miss out on so somebody that takes on that responsibility is a treasure uh, for us. So, so thank you so much for joining us today. I always say history is very fragile. Yes, and, sir. And uh, it's, it's easily uh, lost, thrown away, distorted. Um, uh, my father left a lot. He didn't throw mm-hmm. anything away. So uh, when uh, I started this uh, mission of uh, preserving uh, his legacy and the, and the history of the sport, uh, it was very difficult because uh, when someone doesn't throw anything away, uh, a lot of things you have to go through everything to get to the treasures. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was I was throwing things away at a nine to one ratio, so a lot of things just were junk. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Built. It should have been thrown away years ago. <laughs> uh, but he made he made it uh, he made it easy and and, and respected it, not throwing anything away. Uh, I've been able to assemble. Uh, a lot of history and I've been able to, to document his life at techcorbett.com and do a lot of history add-ons at that site. Uh, so the uh, fact that he didn't throw anything away uh, got me started and uh, I, I've been around the sport all my life so I had a, a desire to uh, be sure that uh, the people that helped invent the sport were never forgotten and that they mm-hmm. And names are raised up. Uh, that's the other problem with the f- fragility of history that uh, a lot of people can be forgotten. And I, I'll say I'll mention some names as we go along that uh, would easily be forgotten. Yeah, I I 100%. I, I mean, I've gone through the the, the website and I, I 100% agree with you. There's the the longstanding quote, you know, history is written by the victors, but also just history is written by the people who choose to write history, right? And if and if your interests don't align to the complete telling the complete story uh you're going to leave large por- portions portions of it out and and it takes historians who have a focus on on some of the uh, like underreported aspects or the niche aspects to to actually do the work and to, to maintain it or else it just won't be there for anybody to know about and um i am i was so impressed at how thorough this is, and we'll put the website in the in the show notes for everybody listening. We'll you can we'll link to it on their website. We'll make it easy for everybody else to find it who wants to uh, to check it out. But can we start, Gary, a little bit with your childhood, where you were born, um, 
some about you know your family. Obviously, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about your dad. So maybe why, why don't we start off by talking about where you were born and maybe can you tell us a little bit about your mom? Well, thanks for mentioning my mother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, because uh, I, I, my father's uh, success is so tied to her and her support. Mm, that's beautiful. Uh, he, he um, she let him do his thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, uh, his thing was a lot of running, that, right? <laughs> his thing, thing was a lot of running, and then along with the athletics, which was his primary uh, interest, he got wrapped up in the administrative side of the sport. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk about course the course measurement, which he feels is his greatest mm-hmm. contribution to the to the wow. sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a, f- a physical therapist, a master physical therapist. He uh, taught. Uh, he's a lifelong student. Uh, so she, uh, she, there was never any pushback with his his running. As you're aware, he he ran uh, huge mileage, mega mileage. Uh, uh, four occasions, he ran 300 mile training weeks. It <laughs> is amazing. Uh, so he, he 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 wasn't wasn't home much. Yeah. And uh, uh, but she was okay. She 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 understood that uh, he was doing something special, and uh, she gave him 100 percent support. Uh, I was born in 1951, and uh, New York Roadrunners Club in Club of America was uh, started in 1958. So I like to say that my my growing up years mirrored the years uh, how the sport uh, started to grow, um, particularly in the New York area and, and nationally. Um, uh, so as a, as a, as a uh, uh, child in my early teen years, through my, throughout my teenage years, I uh, was around the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Along with my father being the first president of the New York Roadrunners Club, um, he also was uh, the longtime editor of the newsletter, the newsletter that was uh, printed quarterly. And I've got 60 issues of those at techcorporate.com starting in 1959. Uh, this was printed on our uh, kitchen table, the mimeograph machine. <laughs> and uh, uh, I would pass them out at races. Now, the the... The membership is, is in the early 1960s, the New York Roadrunners Club was uh, maybe 80 members uh, at most. Uh, big races were uh, 35, 40 runners. Mm-hmm. That, was, that would be considered a, a large race. Uh, so I, I could go to the major races and, and, and reach most of the New York Roadrunners Club membership and pass out the newsletters, and this is this is at age 10, yeah. 11, 12, so forth. Um, and my mother, ones that were not uh, 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 runners that were not at races, my mother would send those uh, to uh, to the runners, the newsletter. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. a family family affair in terms of the uh, quarterly quarterly newsletters. Can I ask you a question um, real quick, Gary, about this? Because you're, the time frame you're talking about, this is pre-1960s civil rights movement. This is um, in a time of still segregation in, in, in many parts of the country. Was was the New York Roadrunners, when it was founded, a just a, a, a an organization only for African-Americans? Or was it, was it were there whites, African-Americans, all, all in the same group? Oh yeah, it was it was integrated. It was predominantly white individuals that were were members. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, 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 the New York Pioneer Club uh, was without the New York Pioneer Club, there would not have been a uh, a New York Roadrunners Club in 1958-59. And that club was started by three African Americans in Harlem in 1936. Is that Yancey? Uh, if I'm correct, this is uh, yeah, Mr. Joseph Yancey. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said mm-hmm. your father was the first president. Was there were there issues? Did your father have any issues with being a, a black man leading an organization with a bunch of white people in it? Well, they uh, they they went to him. They, they he he didn't he didn't want the job. Oh, okay. Uh, ah. <laughs> his uh, his he was he was he was an athlete. Mm-hmm. He wanted to excel. At, at running 
And uh, for example, when Browning Ross, who I consider the father of long distance running because he started the Roadrunners Club of America, the first organizational meeting in 1958 was in New York. Uh, my father did not attend that. A lot of people feel that he was there and Hal Higdon wrote an article calling him the 11th man because there were 10 people <laughs> at that meeting. But my father chose to, to, to do a 30 mile workout that day. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that meeting was, was held uh, at the, at, at, uh, uh, that evening at Madison Square Garden was the National AAU Championships, Indoor Championships. And that afternoon were the high school uh, scholastic, Eastern, Eastern Scholastic Championships, I believe. So my father wanted to attend those events. So instead of going to the organizational meeting, he, he had a workout and then attended a track track meet later. Wow! Uh, but uh, but I, I uh, but he was a, he was a Olympian, national champion at the marathon and thirty k. So he had the, the the name recognition, so to speak, and uh, uh, so he was called upon to uh, and elected elected for uh, uh, being being the president. And he was he was the first president of New York Roadrunners Club. And he was the third national president. The Roadrunners Club of America. It's quite remarkable in that time because one of the things that comes through in your website is the fact that running was actually much more integrated er, in a, at an earlier time than many of the major sports and and many of the the people who we identify as the uh, the first you know first African American in baseball or you know Jackie Robinson or any other sports is and and actually. Um, in many respects, running was was ahead of the curve, but maybe just with much lower visibility, right? Like it, it didn't have the that's, the profile of, of Major League Baseball, for example. Well, and that's that's uh, that's an issue with the sport. It's still a, a, a second, third tier sport, so it does not get that that profile even today. Um, the Pioneer Club was was ahead of the curve. They were making civil rights history uh, through athletics. Yep. In 19, 1942, they uh, changed their constitution and opened up to, to white athletes, and it was uh, uh, a very integrated team. The Jew, Jewish athletes of that era mm-hmm. uh, migrated to the team. That This was a time when the New York AC barred black and Jewish athletes from their club. Uh, so uh, the, the beauty of the Pioneer Club, not only that they uh, were open to all races and creeds, but to all abilities. Yes. Uh, uh, Gordon McKenzie, two-time Olympian, uh, he started running. He wanted to, he wanted to run a four-minute mile, and uh, he approached the New York AC. But at that time, he was not a, a, a champion athlete. Uh, mm-hmm. They declined his uh, declined his entry and uh, invitation, uh, or declined him running for the club. And he came to the Pioneer Club. Years later, as he became national champion and so forth, the uh, New York AC approached him. He didn't want to have any, anything to right. do with New York AC. He was a mm-hmm. long time New York Pioneer Club member. But yes, the Pioneer Club, the integration predates the integration professional professional sports. So they were, were very much ahead of the curve. One more question. Sorry, John, real quick. I just, I, it's, a, it's just a historical one. I, I, I know, sorry. Uh, regarding at this time, was your dad, you're in New York, and the New York Pioneers Club is there. Jackie Robinson's there. Other other athletes uh, uh, are there. It's, a, it's the hub of sports, really. Was your dad? Uh, did he know the people in, in these other sports, and was he involved in any way with with the the, uh, the activities that they were fighting for and, and and working towards? Not. He never met Jackie Robinson. They 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 have a lot of things in common, including they were born the same day, same year, three hundred miles apart. Wow. Uh, they're they're now resting in peace, uh, 200 yards apart in, in, in uh, Cypress Hills uh, Cemetery. Right. Uh, and there's, 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 there's so many uh, uh, similarities about uh, uh, these two gentlemen, mm. uh, my father and J- Jackie Robinson, but they, ne- they never met. Gotcha. Wow. So, <laughs> John, go ahead. That's, a, that's, a, that's, that's, I mean, that's mind-blowing to think about that, you know, these two great, iconic legendary uh individuals in different sports um but dealing in, in the same era dealing with the same things and and both pioneers and um both, both, named, both named after theodore roosevelt uh 
Jackie Roosevelt Robinson and Theodore Ted Corbett. Wow. Oh. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and it, it, there's other comparisons too. There's a, been a couple yeah. of on that's just that's just mind blowing. No, I just well first I just want to say that that's that's quite amazing just to hear that and to know that and it's great to let let people know if they don't know. Um, I, I think just we're just only at the beginning, but we're you're just touching on these things that I think makes a lot of people, especially those that are in in the sport of running, really appreciate and love our sport even more because this this the, hearing these things having been a runner now since the age of 14, uh, 24 years for myself, I'm like, man, I really love the sport. And this just makes me love it even more, hearing these types of things. And, of course, I'm an African-American. And so, again, it just adds even more richness to my appreciation. So, first, I just wanted to say that. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because this is a big – this is a question that, that could be its own topic as far as the podcast, but like, you, you know, Brian's asking these wonderful questions about that time period and, you know, segregation and obviously, you know, the height of uh, a major height of racism in this country. We're going through it again right now, you know, um, as somebody that grew up in that time and is obviously very clearly, I think has uh, uh, maybe of any, but almost as good as anybody in terms of perspective, you have a perspective on this that a lot, a lot of people can appreciate, um, especially if they haven't lived a long life and, and were a part of that time period. I'm curious, like what's your perspective on where we're at uh, as a society and may, maybe more point, more specifically within the running community when it comes to, um, you know, race and representation and uh, the impact that running uh, ha is having uh, as it relates to improving things or, or mi is missing out on when it comes to improving things as far as race relations and, and, uh, and, and inclusion and things like that. Well, it's, it's interesting how the, all this uh, discussion on uh, systematic racism mm -hmm. has come to a, come to a head currently. And uh, uh, I've heard from a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, players in the running field uh, to get input. Uh, I've always felt that the sport could do a better job at being more diverse, and uh, and hopefully that this will this will happen. Uh, I was named a number of years ago the historian for the National Black Marathons Association, uh, organization led by uh, Tony Reed, and. Mm -hmm. uh, He's approached, uh, he approached uh, uh, the major uh, marathons and uh, they've, uh, they've uh, uh, allotted charity bib sl uh, slots, mm -hmm. which will be a, a tremendous fundraising uh, route for uh, the things Tony wants to do in terms of education and uh, training programs. Uh, again, with the, the overall goal is to get more people uh, active, moving, uh, yep, and uh, and and to do so within uh, black and brown communities. Um, uh, so this this uh, I, I think it's a big big moment for uh, our sport because uh, uh, a lot of a lot of the uh, industry players are uh, taking notice. Mm -hmm. uh, Tony was a long time. Uh, was on the board of the Running USA, a, a sports kind of clearinghouse, um, and uh, he wrote a very strong, uh, strong letter to them and the things that he he observed, and uh, that got the hmm. ball to get the uh, uh, New York Marathon, Chicago Marathon, um, LA Marathon, and uh, Boston Marathon uh, uh, to provide bibs. Uh, charity bids that will be a a, a great fundraising uh, tool for uh, growing uh, black participation in the sport. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's uh, uh, I, uh, I uh, National Black Marathon Association inducted me into their Hall of Fame. Uh, for my running history uh, research that I've done, and I, right, I uh, 
for the first time went through the, the ways that my father think that he faced in terms of uh, racism. I never did. Mm-hmm. It. it had been more just uh, laid out uh, generically. Yeah. During the Jim Crow era, uh, he faced this and that. Uh, so I, I, can, uh, I can you talk through first, a little bit about of that? Any 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 examples that stand out? Because I just think it's so useful for people now to be able to have a little bit of perspective on what I mean. I, here's one thing I, I imagine. I'll just throw this out, and maybe there's, there's no relevant story. But your dad was a, such an avid runner in a time when there was rampant racism throughout everything. I'm sure from the police department to the to to uh, people throughout the city and stuff. And I read that he, uh, I can't remember what he called it, but he would do runs around Manhattan, right? And he would like do the full loop around Manhattan. And in my mind, I'm trying to put myself in the time period and and what he's doing. And I'm thinking to myself, did he never get like harassed or stopped while he was doing this? Or did he never face any sort of challenge? I'm, yeah, I'm sort he, of, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, he was stopped by, I think he estimated probably a couple hundred times to stop by police. Um and uh, there's an interesting story up in Westchester County. Now, you, this is this is in the 1950s, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, early 60s. There, there were no black people living up there, and his and there's very few people running. So you have a black black man running around the streets of these areas. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank goodness, you know, he, he never got got hurt doing this. But uh, uh, he, there was a time, and I, 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 I have some letters. My father did all his letters in duplicate. Really? And uh, one of my projects, my initial projects, uh, now that I've got his collection pre-organized, is to do a book of letters. But yeah, he, he did all his letters in duplicate. So I have someone wrote him, and I have that letter, and I have his response. Wow. Mm. And... Uh, there was one uh, in one letter. He talks about you know being stopped up up uh, training for the Yonkers Marathon up in the Westchester County area, and, uh, and I don't know that it's the same police officer, but uh, it was years later, and I and I call this uh, from uh, suspect to respect that uh, a police officer used to call Mr. Corbett wins your next race uh, versus stopped and being questioned yeah mm-hmm. so you know he, he went through a period where he would be stopped and questioned and uh and it reached a point at least with with his with one officer we would ask him uh when's your next race yeah um but he was stopped stopped a lot i mean it, it, running was you know there's so few people were running and uh, uh these were uh communities that were uh, predominantly white yeah, I just have to say it because that's kind of an interesting story. Um, and then, of course, I had to. It's funny because I'm thinking of Jackie Robinson too, and 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 the you know what the this interesting thing where with, with sports, you know, and what it allows for. I think between um, you know different groups where there might be this type of tension, right? Where this, there's this racial tension, mm-hmm. and I think that it's pretty amazing how transformative. Um, sports can be in terms of taking those relationships that are filled with tension and misunderstanding and, um, you know, misperception and, 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 and change it. Like, I mean, I think it's very hard for a lot of things to have that type of transformative power and staying power as well, where all of a sudden they, you know, one party can see another party one way and then they see this person uh, or a group of people doing something like a sporting activity and they're great at it, you know, or they're just dedicated to it and they see some, some greatness in the way in which they're approaching it. And then they, they, something in them shifts and they go, they see them differently. And I think that that's a very important thing to point out is that he, you know, from suspect to respect, it's like, that's why these his history is important. That's why these stories are important because, it reminds those who want to see change that it is possible and that we need to find these vehicles by which to help, um, I think, give us the ability to travel down a different path, you know? And so that's, I think that's such a great story. I'm so glad that you shared it. 
Let me, uh, let me read you something, his own words. Uh, he, he ran for University of Cincinnati track team from 1938 to 1942. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a sprinter uh, in his early years. He was, he was influenced by uh, Ralph Metcalf and, and Jesse Owens. Mm-hmm. And uh, his first introduction to the marathon was seeing a newsreel of Tarzan Brown winning the 1936 uh, Boston Marathon. Tarzan Brown, a Native, Native American. Uh, runner. But in uh, 1998, my father wrote this about his experience on the University of Cincinnati track team. Blacks on the track team were barred from going on trips to Marshall College, University of Kentucky. The team had four black athletes. The coach had to find places which would serve the entire team lunch, even in Columbus, Ohio, the state capital. During college, segregation kept us out of many interstate meets and even some AAU competitions. Finding a place to stay when competing out of town meets was a real headache. I joined Alpha Phi Alpha Black Fraternity to increase chances of finding a place to stay when traveling. Uh, I've got a, I've got a lot, lot of other stories, wow. uh, but that's that's just one example uh, d- during his uh, his college college years. So. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable because it's it's like uh, you know the inability to actually do the sport because of the conditions of of the of the of the laws yeah. of the time the, the the norms of of those areas where he was trying to go to and and you're yeah. right it 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 echoes i mean this is 1938 and you hear the same stories 20 years later bill russell experiences when they're going to the south to play basketball games or or mm-hmm. you know jackie robinson having issues as a as a baseball player and and he it's um it's it's pretty remarkable um I'm I'm curious. I guess I'm I'm curious. I, I, throughout this time, he's we've talked a little bit about him in the '50s, and he did go to the Olympics in the marathon in 1950, 1954, I believe it is. And he and he was a, a, a very strong runner. When did he transition from being like an Olympic type competitive athlete to what what I think of him more as is being sort of like an ultra long distance and ultra marathon runner? Yes. Uh... He uh, perhaps if he had to do again, he would have uh, tried an ultra marathon, London Brighton race in 1956. Uh, he uh, ran his first ultra race in 1959 in New York. It was one of the early New York Roadrunner Club races that they put on uh, in March of 1959. Uh, but he didn't start racing and going over to the United Kingdom uh, to run London to Brighton for the first time in 1962. Mm. Uh, and his fastest marathon times were past him. Uh, he probably reached his peak in terms of his marathon conditioning in 1960. Mm. Um, 1956, he, uh, he missed a team by one spot, and uh, tension, tension got the best of him. Mm. Um, he said he could have could have run, course most of the course again at that at the pace he was running. Uh, uh, just just couldn't couldn't put it put it together to uh, on that day. Yep. Uh, but mm-hmm. if he had gone gone to London to Brighton <laughs> that that day, that fifty two mile race that he ran five times, uh, it would have been it would he would have been ready for that race too, uh, and they perhaps would have done better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he tra- so he transitioned. Uh, though he did did ha- high mileage even before um, uh, he started running ultras regularly. So 1962 was when he started his ultra marathon career. Uh, now he, he he was 32 when he st- ran his first marathon in 1951. So he's he's a late late comer to the sport in that respect. I didn't realize that. Wow. Uh, so he he uh, went to the Olympics at. That would make him about thirty-five years old when he when he ran in the Olympics. Is that right? Yeah, and, uh, he he was uh, 30, thirty. It was uh, nineteen fifty-two Olympics. Oh, nineteen fifty-two. So, yeah, okay. Was, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he was a novice. It was only his seventh marathon, uh, and uh, but he he uh, one of the things that he I have all his training logs uh, from the late forties. He joined the Pioneer Club in nineteen forty-seven, uh, and. Uh, I have I have his training uh, logs going all, all the way through his life, and uh, and now we're starting to read the letters. I'm I'm, I'm I'm shocked at how often he was injured. 
and his ability hmm. to overcome these injuries. Huh. Uh, most cases they were minor because he, he was able to do the mileage that he did. But I'm, I'm, um, uh, now he was a uh, he was a uh, I said earlier a master physical therapist. He was. Uh, mm-hmm. There are times I could make an argument that he had more of an influence in physical therapy than he had in running. Um, uh, so he had he had unique healing skills, mm-hmm. and uh, he applied this to himself. He had to because he was hurt all the time. I didn't I didn't realize how often he was how often he was hurt. Um, yeah, could you? Could you speak to that just a little bit? Because that's actually, I think, a really great thing for runners to know uh, and think about. Um, I, I do work with a lot of young athletes in both high school and college now. And I started, I've just, you know, I think about the last probably four or five months, I've started really coaching and advising and consulting with a lot of young runners and, and collegiate um, athletes that, you know, are maybe soccer players and or track and field athletes and one of the things that I, I, I notice and wish more athletes would think about uh, at all levels is that they have the ability to, I think, manage a lot of their injuries better and prevent a lot of injuries as well. If they, you know, kind of believe that they actually can do more for themselves than they, than they typically do because they just think, oh, this hurts. I got to go find somebody that knows about this and have them do it. And if I don't have the money, or if I'm not willing to make the time, I'm just going to remain injured and or make what's what something could have, something small get allow that to get worse as I try to run through it. And I learned um, near the end of my collegiate career, I was like, dude, I have to be able to work on things myself. So I started doing a lot of self massage mm-hmm. and a lot of like different things, um, prehab I would call it instead of rehab. Uh, cause I, I'd rather do prevention you know, um, than, than actually deal with the injury. So I pretended like I had the injury that some of those common injuries that we'd have just so I could prevent it from happening. So I treated it more like strength training, even though I, my, my logic was I'm preventing the injury that I know I'd otherwise have from doing the work that I'm doing. Is that the approach that your father, uh, was taking? Was he working on himself, actually putting his hands on his body and just getting in there and figuring it out and going, Oh, this is something I could do for other people. Oh yeah. He, he, he's That's... a lifelong, he's a lifelong student. Uh, on the website, I have all the different continuing education classes that he took throughout his life. And this, this is in, even in his eighties, he was taking, still taking classes and learning always about learning. You know, as you're saying that, I remember he, he used to use a marble, you know, a marble, and roll it uh, roll it on his foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's one example. But wow, he had to be doing. Uh, and I, you know, that's, these are the kind of questions if I could today ask him, uh, because I I used to read his diaries and I knew the times he was injured, um, and uh, but I didn't know how often he was injured. I, I'm still. And this is this is new information to me, and I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to a few people just to get some insight right. who who knew him and talked to him about this. Um, yeah. So Gary, but, but he, he worked he, through it. He worked through well, it. I mean, he has these records of consecutive consecutive days with double runs every day, and all sorts of these different things that you you document. Obviously, he he must have been figuring out how to keep himself healthy despite the the, the he, running. Self, self, self-healing. He definitely, uh, and if you, he understood the body, and there, there's, he was a, an early uh, uh, learner of acupuncture in the fifties. Uh, he was also an early advocate of weight training. This, this was something no one, mm-hmm. very few people, <laughs> thought weight training was the thing to do. He was uh, ahead of the curve uh, with that, and. Uh, uh, but he, he, he knows kinesiology. I mean, he, he's, uh, you understand the body, the pressure points in the body. Uh, there are things you can do to help yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, he understood that as well as anybody. And uh, uh, he, he had to be doing this because he was, uh, one uh, consecutive record you're alluding to, he ran 13 years two twice two a day workouts and the only thing that stopped him was on a uh, run home uh, i think a 36 mile training day uh three miles from home he got attacked by a dog 
the next morning going out, he realized he, his, his normal morning workout to work was 20 miles. <laughs> and on that workout, he knew something, uh, something was wrong. Yeah. And he cut it, cut it a little. I think he still ran about 15 miles, but he knew he was seriously injured. And that that stopped that that streak. Um, but 20 miles, uh, and it, when he was building up for ultra marathons training, uh, 200 mile weeks were normal. Uh, and a lot, of, uh, and he would run to work and run home. Um, what in the world was his, his nutrition like? Because that's a huge part of it to sustain that. That is, that's the thing that keeps popping up in my head. And you keep, we, we, I know a lot of this stuff about your father because I read it. Um, but just as you continue to talk about it right now, I'm going, I think so much about nutrition um, and how I know that nutrition and rest impact athletic performance. Those are two key cornerstones in terms of athletic success. How much sleep was your dad getting, and what was his nutrition like? Because I mean, my goodness, <laughs> that's yeah. just crazy. Rest, you, the rest part is something you, everybody should take heed. You got to, you got to err on the side of rest. And my father did not rest. Okay. Uh, wow. And this this cost him. Uh, it cost him. Uh, London Brighton, a fifty-two mile race. He was uh, uh, second three times, uh, and. Uh, Overtraining uh, cost him probably at least one win, uh, and maybe two. Uh, his hundred-mile track record, thirteen hours thirty-three minutes. His twenty-four-hour American record of one hundred thirty-three miles and thirty-four miles. These were American records, but they were uh, inferior to what he was capable of, and mm -hmm. he did not. He he, he should have been at world record. Uh, levels for both distances, uh, but he overtrained. He overtrained. I mean, before the 24 hour race, he did, he did a 100 mile workout a few weeks before. <laughs> and it wasn't, wasn't necessary, but he, he, uh, this is a lot of experimentation he was doing. Uh, and he thought more was better. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Do, what do you, what mm. do you think now, either, either, or from what you know that he's told you, or what was really driving him? Was it, was it trying to figure out his own potential? Was it just that he just loved running and 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 the races were more just an opportunity to push himself? But what do you think was driving him to do to he to do this? Because he was kind of a pioneer in this area as well. There just were so few people doing what he was doing. Yeah, the Mega Miles. I mean, he he would. He, he knew his competition overseas as already had worked out based on the time difference. So that, that helped get him out the door. Uh, but he was addicted to the sport. You know, we, you know, we that are run and we know how uh, energized it makes us feel later in the day. He, he used to say when he get to work after his 20 mile workout, he felt like a king. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, you know the feeling when, I mean, when you're, you're at your peak, the harder you run, the more energy you have later in the day. It's crazy. It's absolutely <laughs> true. Absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. And he, he was in a profession that he was on his feet all day, too. That's true, because he's Treating a therapist. therapist. Yeah. Uh, so when he's so the, throughout the 1960s, he's, he transitions. He's doing these really long runs. He's going to London. He's, he's American record level stuff. And, but at this time, he's also leading the New York Roadrunners Club, right, as the president. And he's... I believe it's in the early 1960s when he defines, or, or I, I don't know the right way to put it, but invents the the way to manage these races. And I think this is a really interesting aspect of your of your dad's life that, you know, for a sport that's built based off distance and time, if you can't accurately measure distance and time, records and times, they, they all it all becomes not meaningless because you still have place, and place is really important in terms of just a in terms of competition. Yeah. But um, can you talk a little bit about his role in in um, creating the the measurement system for yeah. road racing? Yeah, thanks for the questions. Very important. He he would tell you this is the most important contribution to the sport uh, was developing a system, a standardized system of measuring courses across the country. Uh, David Katz, one of his uh, uh, mentees, and now a, a 
prominent course measure over the years says my father invented the sport and that it's 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 really just a game or activity until you're able to standardize it and verify uh, records mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, so for the sport to be legitimate you have to be able to verify records the sport before uh, it became standardized with course measurements courses were either a, a 10 mile course could either be nine and a half miles or ten and a half miles uh, when my father won the national marathon championship in 1954 it was it was 26.8 miles this is a national championship race 26.8 miles so it, it was common car, uh, 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 measurements were done by cars they would typically be off by six tenths to nine tenths of a mile mm-hmm. and uh, you, you, you can't uh, be a legitimate sport by uh, not having those type of standards so yeah and I'm working on a, a set of book of letters and uh, one of the sample chapters I'm working on is this course measurement uh, the evolution of course measurement uh, and it, it, it was it came from the UK uh, John Jewell uh, using a, a, a bicycle uh, method and a counter uh, uh, we learned my father learned from uh, John Jewell and also his teammate John Sterner who was a uh, uh, coach co-founder in the York Roadrunners Club uh, I, I mentioned earlier there are people that uh, would be totally forgotten. And John Stern is one individual. Mm-hmm. My father mm-hmm. would say he, he was more important in starting the Yoga Roadrunners Club than my father. Again, my father was more interested in uh, his athletics. And uh, Brian, you asked him, you know, what, what motivating him? You know, he, he, was, he was trying to excel, mm-hmm. get the most out of his body. And he felt that by running longer and more, uh, that was the, that was the, uh, the way to do it. Uh, John Stern is, is one of those individuals, though, it would be lost history. And I'm doing my best to, uh, for example, John Sterner was the fourth national president of the Roadrunners Club of America. Well, I, I noticed in the literature of the Roadrunners Club of America a few months ago that he was his name wasn't listed as him and his executive committee were not listed. And what happened in 2000 in an update it, it, that that executive committee was omitted from the record books. So individuals doing research about the history of the Roadrunners Club of America were missing that John Sterner was the president, the fourth president of the Roadrunners Club of America. Uh, wow. Uh, he was an engineer, and uh, so my father uh, learned a lot from him uh, about uh, course measurement, and uh, they worked together on this. But John Sterner re- resigned from the uh, effort because the major courses and the leadership were not behind this movement. Uh, they were there was a lot of inertia, mm-hmm. and uh, John just couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. There were there was a lot of drama going on between John Stern and, and the, the president of uh, Roadrunners Club of America. And as I go through these letters, I see my father's trying to be a mediator between these two. And I think that the big takeaway though is that my father saw the big picture mm-hmm. and stayed on the path. And they would, not only John resigned, but there were a couple other committee people re- resigned too. Letters to big races, Boston, uh, Culver City, Yonkers. These were the major marathons of the year, Atlantic City. They, they, they were not cooperate, cooperative in, in, in establishing this course measurement system and uh, mm-hmm. my father saw a big picture and stuck with it it's and that's uh and it's it's been thriving uh, you know and the basic method is is, oh, yeah. is measuring a perfect measurement of a wheel and then tracking revolutions of the wheel in order to get down to the inch right like to to perfect measurement yeah. of the course and and you see that today when i was when i first got into running we people would go out and they would use a wheel on a pole and you just just hold the pole on the ground and and go go across your course and that would give you the measurement and i thought at the time oh that's so clever somebody invented that and so it's cool to be able to speak to you and know that this is you know this it literally was invented by somebody this method of of actually measuring the courses right. and uh jo- jones counter is the still 
the, the Jones County came on the scene in around 1973 and, and was the, uh, is still being used uh, today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as a child, remember uh, helping my father uh, with measurement using string, a string. And I also remember they uh, have a calibration course that the, a half mile or mile calibration course that's used to uh, set the, uh, the standard before you actually run, ride the bike over the course. Right. Uh, so I, I I remember these things like it like it was yesterday. That's fantastic. So, so Gary, I mean, I I, I told you this before we started recording. I mean, I'm I'm I can't believe how fast the time is going, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I want it to go slower because there's so much more <laughs> that I want to talk about. But uh, what I'd like to do, just because I feel like this is an amazing opportunity, and I'll put it out there. I mean, we have to have you come back. It would just be amazing because there's so much more. If you'd like, uh, we'd love to have you share so much more. I think this is just such a treat uh, for all of us. Um, but I mean, I, what I'm curious about, because I'm curious about you as well, Gary, and I think that you have your own story, obviously, um, just because, you know, it's amazing that your father was who he was. Um, what was it like having a, being the son of Ted Corbett? <laughs> What is it like being the son of Ted Corbett? You know, um, what, 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 what fond memories, you know, um, do you have? What things did you take away from being, having that man as your father? Yeah. You know, as, as, a, as a child, the, the, the examples, uh, you know, you have to mature to really take it all in. And uh, some of the examples that he set for, for me, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and there were a lot. There were a lot, mm-hmm. um, but the sport, you know, our, our household was uh, revolved around the sport. I'm the only child, uh, and we talked a little bit about my mother. My mother's name was Ruth, and uh, she was Ruth. a nurse, and uh, uh, very involved in, in the church in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it, but it was it was a family affair, and I, uh, she was helpful and supportive, in in every which way, and I. Went to all the races. Uh, I uh, even in ra- even races he did not run, and I was at races and helping out. Uh, you know, back then there was water water stations and refreshments. There are marathons that and diaries. My father, there was no refreshments, no water. Oh my gosh! Uh, that's as, so as, hard to believe. Yeah, it is. It is, and that's uh, you got to factor that in when you're comparing errors because it's. <laughs> kind of crazy and and these these this was an area when races started at 12 noon boston started at 12 noon Yonkers, oh my gosh <laughs> on, on the very hot days you you're right there you're out there in the, in, in, in the middle of this Gary, when did when did you personally wow. start running well i used to you know run it run it around the neighborhood and and and, and uh, you know we'd organize races and all and uh and so i ran you know ran through uh, high school and one year in college and then got away yeah. from the sport uh, for a lot of years, till I moved to Jacksonville, I live in Jacksonville, Florida now, and uh, started started running distances back uh, when I moved to moved to Jacksonville. But the the uh, uh, so I, I was all in with this with the sport and uh, uh, went to all the track meets. Uh, you know, back then there were uh, five indoor meets at Madison Square Garden during the indoor season, and uh, uh, went to all of those. Saw so, uh, Jim Beatty, or saw the mm-hmm. six, first sixteen-foot pole wall. All kind of, you know, all kind of first. I uh, was uh, was at the garden uh, uh, seeing these, um, but I'm I'm motivated uh, today. Uh, first, because my father left so much. Um, I mean, who 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 does letters and do? <laughs> <laughs> Do you, you think know, he was it, thinking about? Do you think that he was thinking about the preservation of the history? Yes. Okay. Yes. And and documenting, he was a scholar. I mean, he he approached life in a scholarly way. Uh, he was all about education, and uh, just so fantastic. And, it's just so uh, fantastic. It, it's uh, and and one of my big motivations with the, the African American timeline that I put together was that mm-hmm. a lot of people feel my father was the first great African-American distance runner. But the a history of black distance running goes back to 1880 in the pedestrian mm-hmm. era where there were African-American runners and one particular, Frank Hart, was a world record holder. 
pedestrian six-day races were the biggest sport in the land. Right. These were professionals, and they made, they made fortunes. So hard to this. imagine. Uh, like it, it's it when, when a sport doesn't exist today, like when it just doesn't exist, and 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 it hasn't existed for maybe a hundred years or more. It's hard to imagine that a sport could be the biggest sport of the day. You know, it's a. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. So so the six-day races were were a, were a professional sport in the 1880s, and and. Yeah. Pedestrian era, and he was, and, walking, and as a black man, he was able to compete in them right. legitimately against the against yes. the whites and everything else. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. So, so with the timeline, I've been able to uh, document this history, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, it's nice when people say you, you're the first in this, the first in that, but there's there's a, a, a nice long history of black distance running uh, throughout the years and. Uh, a timeline I've uh, I, I put together was from 1880 to 1979. So we we need we need uh, my my hope and uh, mission is to inspire other scholars, running historians, to take up some of these projects. Uh, you know, J John, you 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 should you'll be part of the next part two of the uh, timeline. Hmm. Uh, you know, because it's it stopped yes, in nineteen it stopped in nineteen seventy nine. So it's there's still a lot there's a lot of years there. Yeah, you know, I tell you, um, I I wouldn't mind being an, an, an apprentice of yours, Gary, because uh, I'll be honest with you, the reason why I discovered you is 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 uh and and uh, your father is Tony Reed. You know, and in his book, <laughs> Running Shoes Are Cheaper Than Insulin, you know, um, and then I, I, I feel so lucky. I, uh, I got to somehow got Tony's number and I just gave him a call and it was like, I mean, this was like years ago, but Tony, I got, I got to talk to Tony and, and for me, I mean, I'm, I'm good friends with Tony now. I, I still feel very uh, humbled. Uh, and, and see him in many ways. Uh, I have a, a, an awe, you know, uh, of, of him because of what he's doing. I mean, he's a living legend for our sport, um, just as you are. And I feel like talking to him is it, just been so cool to kind of like get this perspective on our sport. But I was inspired by these things and I kept digging and I learned about, you know, individuals like Reggie McAfee, you know, a, another African-American is a sub four minute miler. Was, mm -hmm. was he the first, by the way, Reggie McAfee, the first? Yeah. Known. Yeah. Okay. First African American to break four minutes in the mile. Yeah. yeah. Byron Dice uh, in 1971 broke uh, uh, four minutes, but he was uh, a dual citizen, uh, United States and Jamaica. Okay. So, gotcha. Uh, yeah. Reggie, Reggie McAfee was the first uh, African American to uh, uh, run under. There it, it was controversy between Byron and Reggie, but. Uh, sure. But there was, I, th there was, I think I remember reading yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, it, but Byron was the dual, dual, dual citizenship. So that, that's 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 the difference. Now there were two black gentlemen who I'm in touch with today, and you, you, you Ben, Ben, uh, Ben Tucker, uh -huh. and Harry Cola. Ben Tucker ran for San Jose. Uh, he ran a 3:40, 1500 in 1964. Uh, oh my gosh. Would have, which would have been a 358. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Harry McCullough was in uh, was four flat and uh, four and some tenth, uh, and he he should have been also. They both should have been under four minutes. Years yeah, before, years before Reggie actually. But oh my goodness! Now, as, wow. as a as a child reading about them, I I was very aware of their stats and uh, uh, and I actually. I had to put a correction out because I mean, as a historian, you got to be correct. And I, mm -hmm, I at mm -hmm. one time put out that uh, Ben Tucker was the first African American to go under four minutes, but I had it as fifteen hundred, you know, equivalent fifteen hundred uh, 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 time and, and estimated, right. you know, the, the difference. Yeah, uh, but you can't you can't do that. I mean, it's a mile's a mile, and uh, right, a mile's a mile, right, and and and, and you gotta, and and it's it's it, in terms of like being an actual sub for a minute miler, um, it's such a special thing for milers that you can't if you didn't run a full mile under four minutes, uh, you're you, a lot of a lot of people who actually got to 
do the full distance and break the barrier, um, well, they won't look at it the same, you know? And honestly, and that's an important thing from your peers as a sub four minute miler. Um, I know for sure I would not call myself a sub four minute miler if I didn't actually go under four sure. for a full mile, you know? Yeah. And so, but it, obviously we know as track and field people that, yes, of course you're, that's the equivalent uh, if you do it in the 1500 only, but there is a distinction as in regards to actually being somebody who broke the mile, four minutes in the mile and stuff like that. So, so I, I did a correction notice and I actually, I saw uh -huh. it recently come up on, uh, on the internet. Cause it's, well, that's the other thing you put something out there and it's, it's out there, but this yeah. correction notice came out and that's good. I, I did it on the, uh, at an anniversary of Reggie's, uh, Reggie McAfee's, uh, sub four minute mile a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, so I'm, I'm glad, but as a story, you gotta, you gotta be correct with that. You can't, uh, 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 play games, so to speak, with the numbers. Right. Uh, I, one of the things I'd like to do, I, I, I put together an African-American female marathon all-time list, uh, which had never wow. been before. Because African-American, unfortunately, distance running history has been under-researched. Under, uh, um, okay. And, uh, uh, the mile, I, I, I like to put together an all-time list of miles. I noticed that you, uh, I think I saw something where you were the 17th uh, African-American under- yeah, something to that effect, and I. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, it, that was thanks to Tony. By the way, I, I didn't even know that. I, I knew I was. I, I mean, all I knew was like where I where I was on the list overall uh, in the U.S. I was the 268th American to break four, in and and everything, which is, yeah. I mean, super cool. But uh, yeah, I I, I am a, I was interested to know that. Oh wait, there were 16 other guys um, before me, and what a wonderful thing to do, be aware of, you know. One of the things, I, I, getting back to your question, I, I just want to inspire mm -hmm. uh, other people to take up this uh, research. Uh, there's, there's so much more to be done. Uh, I've got enough just to, working with my father's legacy. Uh, so these other topics, which are, are very uh, important, uh, need, need, need to be addressed. And uh, so I'm looking at starting a foundation that would... Uh, uh, be a uh, breeding ground for his running historians to do projects. You are, you're, you're actually working on that. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, any, any details you'd like to share about that as far as like where you're at in the process, even if it's just at the beginning, um, it, it'll inspire people to get involved, you know, and that's what we, we'd love to make sure that we're able to help you do that uh, by yeah. sharing um, your story and obviously sharing this episode. Yeah, I'm start, uh, working on some bylaws. I'm gonna keep it pretty simple. Uh, mm -hmm. Roadruns Club. I can I can do it as a sub-organization of Roadruns Club of America. So I'm gonna take up take up that, and it'll be called the Tech Corbett Institute for Running History, uh, Black Running History Research. Wow! Oh wow! Uh, that makes a lot of sense, both to 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 embed it within the Roadrunning uh, Roadruns of America organization. Which, yeah. which I think will give it uh, uh, visibility and, 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 yeah. and it'll make it much more easy to, to find. And, and, and I think you'll be much more likely, or I hope you'll be very likely to find the, histori the budding historians out there who are interested will have a natural connection and, the, and ability to, to participate. Um, yeah, I, I've been trying to uh, encourage the sport to do a better job at preserving its history, and I've had mixed success with that. Uh, um, uh, on a lot of levels, sport needs should do a better job at preserving its history. And the, the name would be Ted Corbin Institute for Running History Research. That's uh, the title. This is this is this is about all uh, the, the entire history of the sport, uh, all aspects of the sport. Well, one of the things uh, I, I learned, um, I did not know. This is just me not knowing these things. That there was actually a U.S. Distance Running Hall of Fame, and I, I wanted to mention for all of our listeners. One of the amazing things is is that your father, well, of the first five uh, initiates into the the U.S. Distance Running Hall of Fame, he was one of the first five, along with people who are known as legendary runners. and And I think it's it's really a testament. Uh, uh, a couple of the other names were Joan Joan Benoit, Catherine Switzer, Frank Shorter, and Bill Rogers. I believe were the were the other four, and Ted Corbett. and And the interesting thing is that your dad's role was in some senses so much broader and so much more foundational and yet because of the time he was running and because of the nature of of his role 
he it's not as visible as as those other names his name doesn't isn't isn't as widely known but i thought it was a real testament to the 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 hall of fame that they recognized his his importance by making him part of that inaugural class yeah that's that's a good catch there because it really uh it was special to, that he because uh, he's he's he was low-keyed uh, in his work uh very quiet in the, in the in the revolutionary things he was doing mm-hmm. uh, and these were these other individuals are very high profile and uh uh but it was it was uh it was that was that was that was good good to see and uh unfortunately the uh hall of fame is dormant now uh it's in utica new york mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh things are in storage right now so it's again a a a, a, a little sad commentary on uh history preservation of our sport that the distance running hall of fame is currently dormant okay that's so that's sad to hear um you know i if there is oh gosh i have so many questions um well that's awful to hear first of all i mean i I think that um if there is anything um that our running community can do um i think the first thing is to ask themselves what what can we do what what should we be doing to do contribute to the work that you're doing and, and, and obviously anybody else that you know of, I'm sure that you have uh, quite a few connections with other peers that are trying to do similar work um, mm. uh, in some way, shape or form and uh, supporting that because this is, if you're a runner, this is our sport um, and making the effort to understand what the status is of things like uh, those types of institutions. Um, we need to figure out how to support uh, keeping them alive and well. Um, and so I appreciate you sharing that as, as well and letting us know that that's what's going on. Sure. I, I know that we're, I know we're running out of time here. Uh, I, I just wanted to, you know, um, find out from you. And I know this is kind of like one of the, one of the final questions that we'd like to ask our guests is just, you've kind of touched on these things. Um, uh, just, just to, I guess, reiterate or clarify, like, so at this point in terms of the projects and things that you're excited about, that you're working towards, that you want to, that you want us to be aware of, um, if you don't mind, just making sure that we're very clear what's, what's going on uh, for you. What are you excited about right now? Um, uh, as far as things that you're, diving into and preparing to dive into well there's a there's talk of a documentary on my father uh and uh it is, this is something that's been going on for a lot of years but it, it sounds like it's it could come to fruition mm-hmm. uh, i talked about a, a, a couple of book projects but the most important one is a book of letters because he uh it's his own he didn't do his autobiography there's a biography on him but not an autobiography mm-hmm. But it's his own words, and uh, I can not only track his life, but also the evolution of the sport. Uh, That's wonderful. Through his letters. Yeah. Uh, the New York Pioneer Club story, I mean, you, you look at today's culture of big city marathons. It owes, as Pam Cooper's uh, colleague and uh, author of American Marathons said, it's uh, New York Pioneer Club and, uh, and Harlem – the is a gift to the uh, running scene today. The inclusiveness of uh, the running scene, the big city marathon worldwide. Oh, a thank you to the Pioneer Club that culture that set uh, set a standard for the culture today in our sport. Mm. Uh, so that the Pioneer Club story is another story that needs to be told and needs. Uh, and that's so there, there. There are things in the works along uh, along those lines too. So it's a, uh, a full plate of uh, of things that uh, where there's a need, and uh, hopefully uh, those sound like fantastic projects, Gary. They really do. I think you said in the beginning that that history is fragile, and yeah. um, preserving it. I I can't wait to see the book of letters. I think there's a first person. First person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> first person <laughs> so is so important for understanding the way history really was, because it's easy as a, it's easy as a historian. Uh, I don't want to say it's easy. I think historians are very aware of this, but it's it's difficult to look back and understand a time period when you've never lived in that time period, and and you have the biases of your present day when you're looking at it and and trying to understand. But when you read the first person account 
and and letters are a very personal, very intimate first person account of 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 of, of a time, right? And um, sure. and I think that will just be a, a, such a valuable uh, contribution to to this. Um, I like I think um, you've you've mentioned a couple things here, and I. I, I I do hope we have you back. We we really good. We didn't like we we knew we were going to cover your your dad's whole your dad or even you know we didn't even get into all your projects. Uh, I'm sure there's even more of those that we could that we could get into. Um, so hopefully we can do that on the next time. Uh, we always close out our our podcast with a question. It's about our brand. Our brand is Go Be More, and it and we like to ask our guests what in your mind what do the words Go Be More mean to you. Um, really, uh, just, uh, do the most you can do for yourself and for your community. Um, Mm -hmm. if there's a, something my father said to me years ago that, uh, if if you see a need, uh, and you have the ability to, uh, fill it, do so. And, um, uh, I think that's, uh, that's a good, uh, good way, and something that uh, we all, as a, as a society, can uh, be better at. Absolutely, I agree. I agree, hundred percent. Gary, I'll let John close us out, uh, but I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate the work that you're doing and the time that you took to come and share your story with us, and um, and I look forward to the next time we get a chance to to speak again. Yeah, I look forward to it also. Yeah, no, without a doubt, uh, Gary, this has been um, a true, true joy. Uh, can't thank you enough for your time. And, and more importantly, uh, we can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing. You know, it means, it means the value is, is uh, immeasurable. Um, and uh, just know that for sure, uh, if there's anything that we can do to be a champion in your corner of the work that you're doing, um, you know, if we can help you just know that we will. So I'll, I'll add you to my, uh, uh, mailing list. And so you'll be up to date on what things I'm working on. Uh, and, uh, and I post a lot on Facebook and, mm-hmm. uh, some on Twitter also. And, uh, well, actually Gary, but I also, so where, mm-hmm. where should we, where should we find you? I didn't mean to cut you off, but since you're talking about this, where, where should people go who want to follow or maybe, maybe get on your mailing list, something like this? Where can they find yeah, you? Yeah, well, Facebook Tech Corbett Pioneer, mm-hmm. uh, that page or my page, Gary Corbett or Corbett G at uh, Twitter also. Okay. We'll, we'll yeah. link those up in the show notes and we'll, we'll post a blog. We'll send a newsletter out about this episode. We'll, we'll make sure that everybody has access to those. But it's really important because I, I, I'm sure there are people listening to this who will want to get re- hear, hear your updates directly. So, um, Great. All right, Gary, thank you again. It was a pleasure. Thank you again, Gary. Talk to you soon. Look forward to it next time. All right. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode. We've got a couple quick updates I want to share. First, we put a lot of effort into making great show notes, and you can now receive them in your email. Just click the link in the show notes. Second, the easiest way to help us grow the show is to give us a rating or review on iTunes. And I've made it extra easy for you by putting a link to the reviews at the top of the show notes. So please help us reach some new listeners by giving us a review. Third, we now have an official podcast t-shirt. You can rep your favorite podcast by going to gobymore.co. For all of us at GobyMore, we are what the world is chasing, and we hope this podcast helps you become what the world is chasing too.